three to ten minutes. Is that true? Is that true? Wow. They've actually given me 15. <laughs> Good. Okay, well, very soon we'll be celebrating Jesus' birth. And that's natural. Even people that don't believe in Christ, of course, celebrate Christmas. And we have a holiday for Christmas, just as we have for Easter. And I suppose you know that in Islamic countries, they have a version of Christmas where they celebrate the birth of Muhammad. Did you know that? It's called Maulid. And it comes on, as you know, on the 12th of the month, Rabi al-Awwal. I know you knew that. But the question arises, uh, there's lots of religious teachers. So we celebrate Jesus, they celebrate Muhammad. If you wanted to look on the religious smorgasbord, you could go have a look at Buddha or maybe the Dalai Lama. I'm sure they saw, said some very valuable things. You could talk to some of the more uh, modern people like uh, Deepak Chopra or Eckhart Tolle, those kind of guys. So what is it? How do we determine the authenticity of this person uh, as we've talked about uh, Jesus? Have a look at this guy. Recognise him? He was arrested last week. His name's Peter Foster. He's a serial con man. Um, he can talk a big game. And he obviously is so good at what he does. Or he ends up in prison from time to time. But he has fleeced literally millions of dollars out of people's pockets. So just because people are convincing in their speech doesn't necessarily mean they're authentically uh, come from God. Because most of these people that I've mentioned there do claim that God is speaking directly through him. So how do you determine the authenticity of someone like Jesus Christ? Well, I was thinking about this, and as I was thinking about this, uh, lying in bed, uh, my, uh, my eyes alighted on my $5 note, which happened to be sitting on the bedside table. These are, these are fantastic notes. I think we take them for granted. Amer Australia invented the polymer banknote, made out of plastic. Lots of countries are using them now. They have lots of great features. I'm not sure if you've noticed that if you scrump them up like that and then leave them for a while, they'll straighten out. If you leave them flat like that, it'll straighten itself out. Because I have no regard for money. That's why, Juliet, <laughs> that's why I did that. Uh, but they have some really cool features. And so I looked on the RBA uh, uh, site to have a look at, uh, you know, what are the features on this note that make it very hard to counterfeit. One of the things it has is uh, a, a little 3D hologram. So if you hold it up to the light, you'll see a little 3D image that looks like it's extended on one side, on the other side, it's inverted. There's a little bird on there. I hadn't noticed this before, but if you flick it from side to side, uh, the wings will flutter. It also has uh, lots of colours on it. So you, again, you, you turn it to the light and it will change, it will be multi-coloured. And one of the coolest things I found, which I had never noticed before, there's a little building at the bottom, you can check this later, little building is there, that little green building at the bottom, but depending on how you hold it, it will show a five, uh, and then if you tilt it again, the five will disappear, and if you tilt it again, it'll be a reversed five. That's just some of the things. It's got a microprint on there, very small writing, so you get under a magnifying glass, you'll see it's got to be perfectly fine writing. If you put it under fluorescent light, it'll show something else. But, you know, there's probably, I don't know, 10, 12 different features on there that are embedded in that note, which make it very hard to counterfeit. Unlike a note that's printed, like an American dollar bill or something like that, as long as you get the right paper, to print something is not that difficult. And I was thinking it's a bit the same with Jesus. With Jesus, the authenticity of Jesus is established in this book. We call it the Bible, that three quarters of it is what we call the Old Testament, 
That is, it's written uh, in the time before Jesus arrived. And in that part of the book, in that three quarters of the book, it was written over several thousand years by about something like 25 different writers. Embedded in there are prophecies, as has already been talked about, predictions for the future, this Messiah who is going to come. And it's not like it's all in, <coughs> excuse me, in one book or one page. Like the $5 note, it's embedded, it's layered. So the earliest, there are early prophecies about Jesus and then there are later prophecies and there are prophecies up to about 500 years before Jesus actually arrived. There are 300 of the, <coughs> excuse me, 300 of these features, unlike the 12 or so on the $5 note, 300, something over 300 prophecies about Jesus. And as I said, I've been given 15 minutes to talk about these 300 prophecies, which um, I'm sure our mathematician here would tell us is I've got to speak about one every three seconds to get them all in. And as I've already spoken for five minutes, that only leaves me two seconds to talk about uh, each prophecy. So I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go quickly through them, uh, through a few of them, and say that if you're interested in this, this stuff is available easily. You can go to the internet, or I'll tell you what the link is, and you can go there, you can spend a couple of hours if you like, looking at the prophecy, the prediction that was made in the Old Testament, and then the fulfilment uh, in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. So the first prophecy is way back. It's way back at the beginning of creation. And it's a very generalised one. It says, uh, I'll make enemies of you and the woman and your offspring and her descendant. He will bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him in the heel. It was basically just saying there's someone going to come and he's going to be human. He's going to be born of a woman and he's going to undo the problem that started, this problem of sin uh, that Jared talked about last week and man's slide into death and sin as we have it. And then further on in the Bible, we'll find it's like a funnel. So it starts with this very broad thing. So it's a human. Well, that makes it really easy. Who's this human going to be? Well, then the Bible funnels down and says, well, it's going to be a descendant of this guy called Abraham. He had a couple of sons. It's going to come through one of them, namely Isaac. He had a couple of sons. It's going to come through the younger one, Jacob. Jacob had at least 13 children. And one of those was a guy called Judah. And it's going to be one of his descendants. And not only that, now it's narrowed down to actually this family, this family line of a man named David. We sang about uh, the little town of Bethlehem. And that's where it really gets interesting because it is a very little town. And the Bible predicted in uh, Michael 5, about 500 years before Jesus came. So when this man comes, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be born in this little town of Bethlehem. That makes it a little easier than if he said, uh, he's going to be born in New York, because you think, wow, it's a huge population. Bethlehem is like saying he'll be born in Humanville. So it's not going to be too difficult to find out. You'll remember the story. You all know the Christmas story, don't you? Put up your hands if you don't know the Christmas story. Do I have to explain it? No, good. So you'll know that these uh, guys were following a star, came from Iran, around that area, and they were looking for the Messiah. And they came to Israel, and they spoke to the king, and said, hey, we've followed the star, we're looking for the promised one. Where is he? And Herod says, no idea. But my religious leaders, they know. Where's he supposed to be born? And they look up the scriptures, that verse that we saw in Micah then, and said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So the, the wise men head down there, and Herod says, hey, let me know when you find him, because I want to go and worship him too. And then the wise men go, they do their thing, and then God says, uh, clear out of the place, because 
Herod hasn't got good things on his mind. So they take off. And then Herod realises he's been duped. And what does he do? What's his... Easy come, easy go? Catherine, you know, what happens? He kills the babies. So he says, well, let's work out when about this child will have been born. So roughly a two-year period. And we're going to go and kill every child in Bethlehem about Jesse's age and younger. Every baby like that, we're going to kill them. Well, the historians say that of using those parameters, children born within two years, in the size of the village that Bethlehem was, there would have been about 24 children born. And of those 24 children born, 12 would have been girls. So roughly 12 children. So now we've narrowed down the prophecy, haven't we, from being someone born of a woman, now to born in Bethlehem, one of maybe a dozen possibilities, and then it goes on further. The scriptures tell us that he will enter Jerusalem as a king, but he's not going to enter on a white colt or a black horse or something flashy. He's going to be sitting on a donkey, on a, on a foal of a donkey. Uh, it tells us that he's going to be a man who is silent before his accusers. Now, this is something that's not normal either. If you go to court, well, some people take silence because that's a, a good thing. When you were accused by your wife this morning of not putting the top on the toothbrush, were you silent before your accuser? It's rare, isn't it? So that's another thing. He was silent before his accusers. The, uh, it was prophesied that he would be betrayed for not 28 pieces of silver, not 31 pieces of silver, but 30 pieces of silver. And that silver would later be used to buy a field. So again, that's a very specific prophecy. You can see how it can narrow down to this one person. We're told that he would be pierced in the hands and his feet. Again, that's quite an unusual thing to talk about, being pierced in your hands and feet. It's not something that happens every day. And yet, not a bone of his would be broken. Now, if you know anything about the, the Bible story, you know that it was the tradition of the Romans or their practice to break the bones of people that they crucified. They break their legs, uh, gave them a quick death. Didn't happen to Jesus. That's because it was prophesied hundreds of years ago. There are, I wouldn't say a million others, but there are hundreds of other prophecies about Jesus, that he'd be abandoned by his friends. Daniel actually predicted the time period in which he would be uh, doing his ministry. Um, I left out a really big one, that he would be born of a virgin. That's what Isaiah said six or seven hundred years before. He'd be buried with the rich. He'd be counted as a transgressor. So all of those things authenticated Jesus. And it's the very thing that, in fact, the people of the time, the religious leaders of our time, as I quoted before, that verse in Micah, it's the very thing the religious scholars of Israel asked when people said, is Jesus the Messiah? They said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Why are they saying that? Surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Has not the scripture said the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? Why are they saying that? They're saying that because they knew that Jesus lived in Nazareth. He grew up in Nazareth. So they assumed he's from Nazareth. He's born in Nazareth. He can't be the Messiah. They accepted and they knew the authenticity of those verses. The Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. But they left it there. So think about those prophecies. 300 prophecies or more. Some count 400. 300 prophecies in one man. That's what authenticates Jesus as the Son of God. What are the probabilities otherwise? You could kind of work it out in your head, maybe, but that would be very difficult. 
So I was looking at something the other day by a, game, a guy named Stoner. Uh, that's not his occupation, that's his name. Peter Stoner was a mathematician. And he worked out, he kind of tried to work out what are the, what are the possibilities or probabilities of these things happen, happening by chance. And he didn't take 300 prophecies, he took eight. So we'll, let's take eight. One of them was coming in a, on a cult, being silent before his accusers. Um, you can look them up later, I'll give you the reference. So what are the possibility of eight prophecies of Jesus just being pure coincidence? So he's a mathematician, so he looks at probability, and let's work out some probabilities here. If we had ten tickets, and we put them in a bucket, and we got someone blindfolded to pull out one ticket, what's the chance that he gets the one that we're looking for? This is very tricky. In ten tickets, blindfolded man got to pull out one, what's his chance of getting the right one first time? One out of ten. Fantastic. One out of ten. Well now, he worked out on the basis of the probability of one prophecy uh, coming true of, of one man, and then the second, then the third, then the fourth. He worked it out and I said, you can have a look at this reasoning. The chance, the probability is one in ten to the seventeenth power that this could be pure coincidence, that those eight prophecies would be fulfilled in Jesus, that it was just the luck of, luck of the draw. So how do probabilities work out in that? I'm going to use the uh, Tasmanian version of his uh, story because his story is about Texas and silver dollars. So I've converted that to things that we can understand. The 50 cent piece. Are we familiar with the 50 cent piece? So if you had that many 50 cent pieces, 10 to the power of uh, 17, and you put them in your backyard, it would cover your backyard to the height of 6 metres. Daryl's not here, is he? How far is 6 metres? Is that up to the top of that? probably up to the top of that roof line. It will cover your, cover your backyard to six metres. But not only your backyard, but your neighbour's backyard and his neighbour's backyard and in fact your street and in fact the whole of Tasmania would be covered in six metres of coins. So that's from the north to the south to the whole southwest. Won't be pristine anymore because it's covered in six metres of 50 cent coins. And so the chances, he said, of these eight prophecies coming true is if you stir that whole amount of coins up all around Tasmania and then you mark one coin, throw that in the mix, stir it up again and then you blindfold a man and say go wherever you want in Tasmania. The, and then the coin that you pick up, the chance of that one being the one that we have marked, that's the chance that those eight prophecies could be in pure probability uh, happen uh, to a man. It's beyond the realms of probability because uh, this is the word of God, this is the inspired word of God, the Bible. So I'd encourage you to take a look, don't take my word for it, but look at those Old Testament prophecies. As I said, come up to me afterwards and I will show you um, uh, those, those websites. It's important, it's really important to authenticate Jesus for this reason. And uh, Jared explained it this way uh, last week in his slide. Because Jesus came to save us. If it is really true that Jesus is, as has been spoken about, the Prince of Peace, that he's a human, as um, Jordan said, he's a product of a woman, and yet he's also mighty God, then what he says can absolutely be trusted. And he offers us an abundant life. He, Jared told us that it, to be in a relationship with Jesus gives you access to God's presence and the tree of eternal life. That this life is not just a short 60 or 70 years. It gives you a new identity. Whatever your family identity is, 
whatever kind of um, rubbish life you've had, you have a new life in relationship to God. It gives you a right standing before God. So whatever guilt you carry is removed because of what Jesus came and did on the cross. Freedom from guilt, shame and condemnation. And in summary, he said, what man was created for in the beginning. Uh, Jared also talked about the fact that it's our eternal destiny. Uh, Whether that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing revolves upon the words of Jesus Christ. We can trust him. I'll give the last word to a guy who uh, not only knew those prophecies, and he would have examined them and he would have said, yeah, it it seems to be um, that this man is the one that was prophesied. These 300 prophecies, many of those he would have known, some would have been pointed out to him. Others uh, he would have heard from perhaps Jesus himself as he came and explained how the Psalms and the other prophets spoke about him. And then John walked with Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He had a very long life and he suffered a lot of trouble because of Jesus. And this is how he sums it up. He said, he who has the Son, that's he who has Jesus, he who has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's how stark it is. Life, real life, is abundant in Christ. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the promise and that's uh, the authenticity of the promise contained here in the, Old, in the Old Testament. And it's not the only way to know Jesus. It's not the only way to know that he's authentic. Uh, one of the best ways is to call out to him and see if he's there. Is to address him and say, Jesus, are you truly the Son of God? Do you have a, a message for me? Are you alive and living? Well, let me pray and, and commit um, whoever's here today that doesn't yet know Jesus or those on the live stream uh, or someone who may hear this message in the future, let's commit them to the Father. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much that you have inspired your word and that you have had faithful prophets that have uh, committed themselves to you and are willing to, s- to speak your word. Sometimes it was well taken, other times poorly taken but they were committed to speak the truth. We thank you that these over 300 prophecies um, testify to Jesus as being the Son of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you and honour you as mighty God, as Prince of Peace, as Everlasting Father, as Benefactor. We thank you that you were willing to come to this earth, take on human form, uh, live our life and uh, die a painful death and be resurrected and now shower blessings on us. I pray for those who don't yet know Jesus. I pray that they would seek you and find you. I pray for those of us who do, that we would be keen to share this great news with others. And I pray that you would bless all of those in this place. May you deepen our appreciation of the gift and may we serve you forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.